Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers across the land, welcome back to the Felony Friday podcast. Don't fret if this is the first episode you've stumbled across as you, if you found us on iTunes or you found us Google in the web. This is uh, the second episode that we've had of the Felony Friday podcast, and it follows up a column that I've written for about two and a half years called Felony Friday, where I would look into a lot of ridiculous felonies, a lot of failures in the criminal justice system, and analyze them. I was doing that for about the past two and a half years, and now we finally started this podcast. So the reason we started this podcast, or I wanted to start this podcast, and I talked about it with uh, the other contributors with uh, Lions of Liberty, is because we really wanted to have a little more time to dive into different felonies that happen throughout the week. So who I have with me today to uh, dive into a couple felonies, we're going to talk about some felonies trending in the news and talk about a couple. We're going to follow up with our segment at the end that we introduced last week which is titled, Is This a Crime and Should Anyone Do Time? So first, let me introduce the co-host for today, my co-host for today, Mr. Howie Snowden. Hey, Odie. Glad to be here on the uh, the newest podcast under the Lions of Liberty umbrella. It's good to have you here, Howie. And uh, listeners have probably, they probably recognize Howie's voice from Libertarians of Living Room Streaking Liquor. And I think he's been on almost every presidential debate recap we've done. But a lot of people might not know this. Howie is kind of a, a famous, yeah, famous person around Lions of Liberty. He's known affectionately by us around here as the godfather of Lions of Liberty. So, Howie, could you tell us a little bit about that backstory, how you got that nickname? Sure. I mean, I may be the godfather of Lions of Liberty, but I owe it all, like most supporters of Liberty do nowadays, to Ron Paul. Back when I was 17, I was a congressional page. And that was uh, Ron Paul's a congressman at the time, just sitting there, hearing him like give speeches every day. Got to meet him a few times and talk to him in his office. The light of liberty was sparked in me and uh, met you guys in college and got Mark head down that road. And now, you know, I'm so impressed with what you've done with all this with Lions of Liberty and now with uh, Felony Friday, since uh, the plight of felons is such an important thing to highlight. I mean, the miscarriage of justice in this country is ridiculous and I mean, the only person right now even like speaking about it is Rand Paul, you know, a libertarian-leaning Republican. And it's, you know, the more we can do to shine the light on this, the better. Yeah, it's definitely it's a very important subject. And like you said, Rand Paul has shined the light. And now other presidential candidates like I don't know if you've seen Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders are now jumping on the criminal justice reform bandwagon as well. You know, Hillary's past, as our listeners well know, doesn't exactly align with uh, the rhetoric she's spouting today. But that's still okay. I mean, that's good. We'll take it where we can get it, even though she's probably just doing this to score political points. Of course. But Howie, I wanted to ask you about, you know, you've actually, along the way, when I've been writing this Felony Friday column, I mean, you've sent me probably, I don't know, maybe five or 10 of the articles of the stories that I followed up on and covered. You probably sent them to me and gave me the idea for writing them. So I know that felonies are important to you. The plight of felons, as, as we call it on this show, the struggles of felons is an important thing to you. Is there anything that has really triggered that passion for you? Sure. I mean, definitely, for the most part, it's been, you know, with personal experiences, like 
the war on drugs has been an absolute miscarriage of justice. I know me and you both personally know people who have uh, had incidents with marijuana that have screwed up their lives. I have somebody like very close to me who their brother ended up spending five years in jail on the ecstasy charge. And just like afterwards, okay, maybe somebody made a mistake, if you want to call it that. Your life is screwed. You can't get a job. I mean, if you got a college degree nowadays and a clean criminal record, it's hard enough to get a job. But trying to rebuild after a felony charge is damn near impossible. And it's just something's got to change, especially for something like the war on drugs, where people are given a substance that they want. And these aren't necessarily dangerous things. They actually, a lot of illegal drugs have a lot of medical value. And I mean, Mark's had people on from MAPS, the uh, multidisciplinary agency, psychedelic studies that have been doing, you know, tests with MDMA, improving PTSD and all that. And I mean, we all see in the news every day, like all these things with marijuana benefiting kids with epilepsy, treating cancer, all kinds of things. And like the research isn't even hardly allowed to be done on these things. So besides people getting these felony sentences that like completely derail their lives or people that are users. And, you know, these are people that need our help and our sympathy, not a jail sentence. This is just causing so much destruction in our country. And it's, oh, I don't know, get worked up talking about it. Yeah, no, it's, it's an important topic. I mean, that's why we have this show. It's great to hear the passion coming from you. I wanted to kind of shift here and start talking about some specific felonies that have been trending in the news over the past week or two weeks. And one thing that, that I'm sure is near and dear to your heart, being a dog owner, you know, I see the pictures that you post on Facebook of you and your dog. Yep. The FBI is now considering animal abuse a Class A felony. And this is actually something the FBI announced this change originally back in 2014. And they're finally starting to collect some data on it. Now, Animal abuse or cases of animal cruelty fall into four different categories. Neglect, intentional abuse and torture, organized abuse, and sexual abuse of animals. Yep. The FBI's decision here? You know, I think there may, just to clarify a little bit, I read a, a Vice article about this recently today, and I was reading through the comments on that. And I don't think, if I read it correctly, that the FBI is considering this a Class A felony, but they're going to start tracking it like a class A felony, like they do with uh, violent crimes and arson, this and that. I think they're going to keep a database, which, you know, we could get into if it should be a felony or not. But I think definitely for sure people like this should be tracked like that. Because, I mean, we know most like violent criminals, I think the stats like 70 percent of them start like harming animals first. And like all the like serial killers and like complete psychopaths, like people that would abuse an innocent animal. I mean, if that's what they're doing, they're just, you know, tracking these instances of abuse and keeping a record of it. I'm all for that, for sure. That is a pretty amazing stat. You've got it exactly right. 70% of violent criminals begin by abusing animals. I'm not sure how they gather that statistic. I mean, if they're no, going I, back I mean, I'm and sure it may be higher or lower slightly, but, you know, it's. I'm pretty sure there's, like, extensive interviews done with, like, serial killers and whatnot or people like that, you know. There's all the psychological profiles built up studying this kind of thing. I mean, the, the point is, like, even if you're not a huge animal lover like me, the fact that just that this has a real human impact, if you care about humans, if you care about yourself, this should be something you want to attract. And now, I mean, whether it should be a felony or not, I might not be the one to know exactly what all that entails, but I do think that it intentionally harming or torturing, like, a, uh, you know, a sentient being, like, something that can suffer should have, you know, a harsh penalty with, like, some jail time. It's kind of an interesting thing when you think about 
you know, there's some cultures that actually eat dogs or eat cats. And obviously in our culture here in the United States, that would be insane. I mean, you'll rightfully be thrown in prison for, right. for doing something like that. Which is a little arbitrary. And, you know, I mean, I'm not a vegetarian or anything. I just think that, you know, humans, we're at the top of the food chain. We should be able to use animals for food. But, you know, this reported, you know, a decent life up until that time and a humane death. That's why I have big proponent of hunting. I think hunting is way better than factory farming and a lot of what goes on, you know, in those kind of situations. But I mean, I would like to see animals treated a lot better. I know if somebody were to harm or like kill my dog, God forbid, I would react as if someone had killed my child and that would not be good for the offending party. Yeah, maybe a little less extreme case. When we talk about one of the four categories is organized abuse, like cockfighting or dogfighting, but yet horse racing and dog racing are completely legal. I mean, maybe not in every state, but they're definitely legal in, in many states. I mean, how can the feds really draw that line saying you can't do certain things with dogs, but yet you're allowed to race them or you're allowed to, to race horses? I mean, I'm not necessarily saying I agree or disagree with it, but it seems like a really fuzzy line. It seems like it favors just uh, certain pastimes, maybe simply because they're pastimes and accepted in our culture. I mean, it comes down to there's no perfect answer, and it's – I even – being a libertarian, I, I'm reluctant to want to put this in the, the government's court to do something about. But, I mean, if we do have a government, we kind of want them to protect those who can't take care of themselves. And now, I'm not saying that, you know, animals are equal to humans or anything like that, but I think they deserve, like, some modicum of respect and some kind of decent treatment. You know, I, I don't know the exact answer, but if the way I read what the FBI is doing now is just – tracking animal abusers the way they would track violent criminals or arsonists. I think that's an okay thing. I'm good with that. I think you're right. I tend to agree with you. When you talk about this being, you know, tracking animal abuse as a role of government and a need of government, I think I agree with you. I don't think it's necessarily a role of government the way we think of government today. It's this coercive force that government has become. But when you think of it as maybe a group of people in a community coming together, maybe deciding, you know, based on their beliefs and their values, that they don't want to harm certain animals, that they want to respect the animals, and building a, a legal system that way. That's probably, in my opinion, maybe the most moral way to handle something like this, rather than, you know, when we talk about different cultures having you know, different values regarding different types of animals. Um, I think that's probably the most moral way to carry it out. What do you think about that? Yeah, I do. I mean, this is a different function of government. We're not talking about them being like uh, glorified revenue collectors, you know, pulling people over this and that, giving you, you know, people doing things that aren't harming anybody and just finding you for these arbitrary reasons, but actually like preventing suffering. And, you know, I don't think morality is just restricted to interactions between human beings. And again, you know, not saying animals are equal, but I think we deserve them, uh, you know, a certain amount of respect. Yeah, animals and humans definitely aren't equal. I mean, there might be some animal rights activists that would spout that, some extremists. But if a bear or a wolf kills someone, you can't put that bear on trial for murder. You can't you know, punish them for killing someone. They're not going to understand any of the punitive damages or the consequences that you're trying to place on them. So let's move on from this topic. I think that was a pretty good discussion. I don't know if we – I think we came to a pretty good consensus there. But let's move on to another thing trending in the news here. I just saw this last night, and it's not really a felony per se, but it's my show, so I can do whatever I want. <laughs> this has to do with, in Arizona, there's a state senator who is trying to criminalize the recording of cops in public. So this legislation 
would require people to be at least 20 feet away while recording law enforcement activity. If the officer decides that you know you have to be farther away, then he could tell you yeah. to move farther back. I think that's the rub there. Oh, 20 feet, which you know most people say, well, well, that sounds kind of reasonable, you know, in most cases. But unless the officer decides farther means the rule is if the cop doesn't want to be filmed, the cop's not being filmed. And we've seen time after time recently. I mean, thank God to the advent of cell phones and everybody having a camera in their pocket, the abuse of power that goes on in this nation, and especially in the minority communities, and it's. I don't know. There may be some legitimacy. Sure. Okay. We need to have people 20 feet away or so, but the way things are going, I say, no, I say cops should be filmed all the time when they can, if they're doing everything right, it's going to protect them. I mean, most cops I know are good cops and they deal with a lot of crazy freaking people. It's just going to exonerate them and everything they do and show what they go through. The only reason to like have a rule like this, where it's pretty much the cop's discretion, what gets taped or what doesn't, it's way not in favor of the average citizen. I mean, we have a real problem here where the cops are no longer here to protect and serve. They are revenue collectors. They are, I mean, uh, was it Freddie Gray, the one who was choked to death for selling loose cigarettes in uh, New York City? I mean, come on. Freddie Gray was in Baltimore. Oh. He was the one that was, he was, they put him in the back of the van, oh, handcuffed, okay. and uh, he got uh, severe neck damage. Eric Garner was, yeah, right. Eric Garner was one, the was, man in New York City Eric that was, Garner, that yeah, was, that one was of the worst, choked to death. the worst yeah. ones that I've seen recently. Like, there was no reason for that to end a man's life or even who was selling loose cigarettes. I mean, it was terrible. Like, the other twist part on this is if you're recording inside a, uh, someone's home, they're going to make you move to the adjacent room or adjacent area where you probably won't even be able to see, you know, what the cop's doing. And, and you're, it's you're not going to get audio. In a lot yeah, of you're not going to get audio. All the things that are important to, like, for a jury, for anyone to decide what actually happened, what is going on? Are people being just? Are people being treated fairly? I think it's really a way to, it's definitely a protection. You know, they say the, the camera is the new gun, or not even the camera, the, the phone, since everyone's phone is a camera now. Yeah. But it's a protection for Hey, they, protection for they sure don't mind recording us everywhere. <laughs> cameras everywhere. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There's, there's cameras everywhere. The story behind this, I just want to touch on it real quick, is kind of ridiculous. So the lawmaker in this case is uh, Senator John Kavanaugh, Republican, Arizona state senator. Before he was a state senator, he was a New York City cop. And back in the 70s, he was arresting a bandmate of Wilson Pickett from the popular group Mustang Sally at JFK International Airport. And so he has this guy against the wall. And I guess he found a syringe on him in a case or something. And then Wilson Pickett comes over. And asked them, you know, like, what's going on? Is this going to take a while? And I guess this cop claims that when Wilson Pickett asked him that, he turned around and the guy that he was frisking, like, threw, like, a bag of heroin behind a TV to hide it. So that's, like, his justification for not letting people film is because Wilson Pickett distracted him. I don't know. That's just a pretty funny backstory there. That's absurd. I mean, in even that case, like, so what you want to uh, arrest Wilson Pickett, destroy his life, destroy his livelihood – because he had heroin on him. I mean, exactly. Heroin is one of the most demonized drugs out there. But you know what? The cases are when people die from it. Most of the times it's when what they buy isn't actually heroin or when people are like mixing that with other drugs and alcohol things. But like, I mean, as itself, I don't think people should be doing heroin, but it's, you know, it's a pretty strong painkiller and it's 
a lot of people have problems with it. There's a, a pretty good treatment of BOGO, which is illegal in the U.S., but you're going to just destroy a man's life over that. And also, because someone almost got away with it, now we're going to let cops not be filmed and get away with all the abuses that we see cataloged every freaking day. Every time I turn on the news, it's another cop like unjustly shot or killed someone and that. And it's, I mean, like everything else, if it bleeds, it bleeds. It's on the news. That's, I don't want people to think I'm in a cop or anything. I'm not at all. I think most cops do an excellent job, but there's a lot of things going on that, you know, filming things is only going to showcase the guilty and it's going to exonerate the innocent. And it's, yeah, I mean, this show is not, and I mean, maybe people who are stumbling across this, listen to it, think this is an anti-cop show and we're bashing cops. You know, I, I don't hate cops. My grandfather was a cop. I have respect for, there's a need in society for law and order. So I have a respect for the function of police officers. What's happened, though, is cops have become, instead of serving us and protecting us, they are just intervening in every little detail of our lives based on the law that they're, yeah, that they're I mean, required it's not to their enforce. Fault. It's not necessarily all their fault. That's not to let them off for doing it. I mean, the incentives they're giving. I mean, police departments get more money for busting people on drugs, not for stopping murders and rapes or violent crimes, things we, we want them to be out there protecting us from, but for the war on drugs and all this other nonsense. That's what gets rewarded. And it's. I'm sure a lot of people join with the greatest intentions in the world, want to make the world a better place, but the system is just broken. And, uh, I mean, all we can do is shine a spotlight on it or, you know, film these interactions until things are done right. Yeah. If anything, filming these cops should really be for their own safety. It should help them do their job in the end. Let's turn the page to the next segment of the show, which is something that we're trying out. We're calling it, is this a crime and should anyone do time? So I've got two stories this week. What I'm going to do is I'm going to do a little introduction of the story for you, Howie, and then I'll ask you, is this a crime? And should anyone do time? All right. So the first story, it's from Arkansas, Jefferson County, Arkansas. A woman is in a grocery store shopping, and she leaves her wallet with like $900 in the shopping cart and leaves. When she comes back in to get her wallet back, someone had turned the wallet in, but it was empty. The money was gone. There was surveillance video. Nine hundred dollars, you said. The nine hundred dollars was gone. Yeah, there was surveillance video showing, you know, this another woman coming up to the cart, you know, seeing this uh, wallet or person there, calling someone on the phone. I guess like asking someone, oh, "Should I take this money?" Heck yeah, take that money. Taking the money out and then turning the wallet in with nothing in it. So they still haven't caught the thief yet, but this is. I mean, the police are saying that that this is a felony for stealing the money and turning the wallet back in empty. So I guess a couple different questions here are, are interesting aspects. Okay. In this instance, do you agree that this is a is this a crime and when they catch this woman, she should be punished? Should she do some time for her crime? This is for sure a crime. I mean, she picked up a wallet with someone's ID in it. She knows whose money this is. She robbed this woman or this, did you say it was a woman? This person of uh, yeah, woman. $900. I mean, I'm not sure if in this day and age, if $900 should be the rise to the level of a felony. Crime for sure, though. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, depending, a, a depending on who you a, are, that's a little bit much. That could be your, your rent for your apartment for a month. That could be, you know, that's a big deal. I mean, and it's not like she just found some cash on the street. She doesn't know, like, oh, how can I really know who this is? It's in someone's wallet with their ID. For sure, it's immoral. It's wrong. 
it's a crime. I think we need to protect people when we can from theft, from violence. This woman should probably do a little bit of time. I don't know if this is a felony worthy, but crime in time for sure. I'm going to agree with you. Definitely a crime, but maybe not time, maybe just a fine if we want to yeah, keep on rhyming. You're right, especially <laughs> if, uh, you know, the woman that was robbed is paid back and, you know, restitution is made and there's some kind of, there should be some kind of penalty, some kind of penalty to, you know, I mean, I, the goal should be, you know, not only like a punishment, but to, to teach, try to rehabilitate people. I don't know. I'm definitely on the same page as you. You can't just allow people to go around and steal other people's property. I mean, it would be the same thing if, if it was a bike and someone, you know, took a wheel off her bike or took the entire bike. You're stealing someone's property. Yeah. I mean, that can't be acceptable. If there's nothing yeah. different than this than if uh, there was an untended cash register and she reached and took it. It's a wallet with an ID. It's someone else's. Exactly. Um, so there you heard it. You heard it. Crime and on to the next one. So we've got one more here. All right. And this one is a, it's probably a familiar uh, storyline here that we've heard many times before from the FBI. So the FBI is being accused of, or this article, I should say, that I read is accusing the FBI of setting up an 18-year-old with a very low IQ, IQ of 51, setting him up into being a terrorist, and then, <laughs> and then not prosecuting the case themselves, I guess being, you know, kind of running away from this and turning this over to, to local prosecutors. So this occurred in Alabama. And the 18-year-old has been charged with soliciting or providing support for an act of terrorism. Uh, the support you're thinking of, oh, how much was it? What kind of support was it? You know, was it thousands, thousands of dollars? No, it was a thousand dollars that uh, I guess was contributed to some terrorist group, maybe upon some FBI guy's direction, trying to entrap him. Without even knowing any details, I would acquit this kid. Not because I'm not saying he didn't do something wrong, but that he didn't commit a crime. But this has to stop. I think just about every thwarted terrorist attack that this nation has faced since 9-11 has been the FBI setting up gullible idiots to do shit that, you know, they don't give them real bombs, not give them real this, nothing happens. And they're just, because of that, we get the Patriot Act, we get, you know, all of our, all the NSA nonsense, and it's, we're losing our freedoms based on fake crimes that they're creating, that they're setting up patsies, fools that otherwise would do nothing wrong. And even if what this kid did was a crime, this message has to be sent. We're not going to convict people in this. I mean, it should be like, I don't know, what do they call it when evidence isn't allowed in court or someone is collected wrong or, you know, I mean, it's, it has to be stopped. It can't happen. This is, it's absurd. I mean, I'm sure this poor kid, granted, he's, I mean, I mean is that even like, that's like mentally challenged IQ. Yeah, he's. I mean, I, th I think you're saying the right thing, calling him a kid. His friends and family refer to him as a child. He's 18 years old, but his IQ is so low, he can't even tie his own shoes and he soils his clothes. And yeah. according to them, his, his verbal skills are awful and he lacks the ability to distinguish between reality and fantasy. We, we, we have so, these arbitrary determinants of age. It's like we, one day you're 17, the next day you're 18. And so that means a different thing. And it's, I mean, we all know everyone's different. So when I'm looking at this hearing, this kid in my eyes is, with this low IQ and this functioning is just, he's been used. He's been set up and used. He may have done something wrong, but I would not convict him of it. I would want some, uh, 
some kind of repercussions for the FBI agents involved in this. I mean, it's yeah, it's a, and I think that's why they're turning this over to the local prosecutors because they're, I mean, it's just uh, this is going to be some bad press for the FBI if this gets out. Hopefully, some of the local people know about jury nullification and things like that. Hopefully, I mean, it's, it really is a sad case. The kid actually, he's being charged, so it's a Class C felony. Normally, it results in a pretty low bail amount. He's being held in jail right now. He's in prison on $1 million bail. Just to put that in perspective, this judge, his name's Alan Fuhr. He had two accused murders and a teacher who was charged with sexual misconduct that they only had $450,000 bail. So this is a mentally challenged 18-year-old kid who donated $1,000 supposedly to a terrorist organization, is in jail on $1,000 bail, and two murderers, people who are accused of killing someone and someone who sexually abused a student, are out for uh, less than half of that. It's just backwards. But that's it's the broken criminal justice system, and it has to stop, and that's why we're doing this show. And uh, that's why I had you on, Howie, because I know you, you share the passion that I have for criminal justice reform and for uh, notifying, for raising the alarm. I, I think Americans the- in general just have – we care about fairness. Like the American people just – when they see and know these things are going on, there's, they're outraged. We're seeing like the outcry with you know, all these different movements nowadays. Like people want justice. That's, this country is supposed to be about liberty, about justice, you know, equality. It's supposed to be, and I don't know if most Americans want that. I think a, a growing growing number are kind of more aware than they were maybe 10, 15 uh, years ago of how broken things are just because of social media and YouTube and the videotaping of cops, uh, like we talked about earlier. That, that's taking everything a step forward, I think. But unfortunately, Howie, we're trying to keep these shows to half hour. It's really hard to do because it's so easy to talk about this stuff. Right. Well, hey, I, but, I appreciate you shining a spotlight on this and trying to raise the public's awareness. Kudos, well, I, kudos I my man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on. Anytime. Um, everybody listening out there, if you haven't done it yet, please go to iTunes. Leave a comment there. Subscribe on iTunes. Rate the podcast. If you're not an iTunes person, if you're not into that, if you don't have an iPhone or an iPad, you can go to Stitcher and do the same thing there. Subscribe to the podcast there. Uh, Make sure to uh, check out the show notes. Check out the show notes. They will be at lionsofliberty.com slash FF2. We keep it real simple. Two letters and a number. It's simple. It's easy. Lionsofliberty.com FF2. Check out the show notes. Also, this show is going to air on our affiliate throughout the week, LRN.FM. It's probably airing right now, hopefully. So you can check the Felony Friday podcast out there, which is this show, and you can check out the other shows we have on the Lines of Liberty podcast with our host, Mark Clare, who, you know, he has great interviews every week, and we have our Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor, and we have our debate reaction shows, which are happening all the time because it's uh, presidential election season. It's been another great show. Thank you again, Howie, for coming on. Anything, any last parting words? No, anytime. Appreciate what you guys are doing. All right, then. So with that being said, this is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire of liberty burning.